You're listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, this weekend um, has been interesting to say the least. There's been a lot that's happened uh, in the past week or so since we last spoke. Um, We've got riots going on in various different cities uh, across the country. I believe I saw over the weekend um, there were north of 4,000 total arrests uh, as a result of these riots, uh, all stemming, of course, from the murder of George Floyd up in Minneapolis. Uh, But I wanted to start by pointing out, because we're recording this at uh, just after 3 o'clock on June 3rd, uh, that we have a little bit more information on the charges pertaining to uh, Derek Chauvin and the three other officers uh, at the scene. That Derek Chauvin's charge has been upgraded to second-degree murder at this point, and the three other officers who were at the scene with him uh, were uh, charged with, I believe it's aiding and abetting second-degree murder. Um Sam, I, I, I think those charges are probably correct as far as what we've seen on video. Um, I, I I think second-degree murder is probably the correct charge for Officer Chauvin based off of the evidence that I've seen. Uh, this is, of course, acknowledging the fact that we don't have perfect information on this, but the information we have is pretty clear. Um, what are your thoughts on all this? I, I I would tend to agree, but I'm also cautious because uh, I believe George Zimmerman was charged fairly harshly in uh, the in his trial, and part of the reason he got off was that some people at least felt that they overcharged him based on the available evidence. So I do not think it is an overstatement. Um, that and again, of course, I don't think that there should be really much difference in the penalties for murder. Uh, if you're guilty of murder, there are two options for you in my in my view. But uh, I I'm cautiously optimistic, and I just hope that the charge of second degree murder will not be used to say, well, this is an overly harsh uh, charge. Essentially. Um, It's worth noting that Zimmerman was charged with uh, second degree murder, uh, just like Derek Chauvin is. Um, The you would think the climate, uh, the discussion surrounding this um, wouldn't it it in theory wouldn't have any effect on the justice system. Uh, But in practice, uh, it's been uh, eight years since uh, Zimmerman was charged. Uh, Zimmerman was charged with second-degree murder in April of 2012. Um, A lot, and I mean a lot, has changed since then, but uh, his acquittal is what started a lot of the modern discussion on this. His acquittal is what sparked the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, It's what sparked uh, a, a a lot of these uh, different things, and probably most importantly, it's what sort of reignited the discussion 
which is a discussion we we ought to have and i hope we're contributing to positively um but it's one that you know it, th- that's where all this starts and so it, it'll be very curious to see uh what sort of impact that uh all this has had on the justice system if any um i do think in this case we've got about as clear of evidence as we're going to have uh with any of these uh situations uh not to say that the that you know in other instances we haven't had clear evidence but um you know i mean we've got clear shots of what's happened floating around on facebook i mean right. this is we are not talking about some uh uh grainy zapruder footage uh style uh filming here um i i am a little interested to see what happens with the officers uh officers the other officers who were on the scene um right. because they they appear in the ver- videos to varying degrees um in some of the videos two of them don't appear at all um and so i'll, I'll be curious to see what ends up happening uh with them and see if they're handled uh differently from each other uh based off of the evidence that's that's there um I tend to agree with you uh, that, that this is probably the correct charges I've already said. Uh, this very clearly isn't first degree murder. Um, you know, there's no you, you would effectively have to prove that Chauvin woke up that morning with a plan to go out and kill George Floyd, um, which that evidence just just isn't there. Um, but but we'll see. We'll see if this is something that he gets convicted on that charge. We'll see if. He gets acquitted of that charge. We'll see if that charge becomes a letter, a lesser charge, which is something I think a lot of people are afraid of, um, that right. this will somehow become like reckless manslaughter or something like that. Um, but, you know, it's 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 interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see and it'll be worth keeping up with. And I imagine we'll keep talking about it until uh, it's resolved, um, which could take. A while right and especially the the idea of the premeditation there are rumors that Chauvin and Floyd knew each other from previous work arrangements but even that isn't enough to demonstrate uh, I believe the term is mens rea but basically intent like criminal intent and planning is going to be the deciding factor there and even with a second or third degree charge there's going to have to be a demonstration like you said of, okay, obviously this wasn't reckless manslaughter or something like that. Like there has to be a demonstration of malice or not so much disregard or recklessness, but contempt for human life on display. So we'll see how that goes. I, I do hope that a uh, strict sentence is handed out there. I know that I won't get my wish in that but um i i'm troubled because i don't know if i've told this story before so i'll be very brief i uh, actually got called to serve on jury duty uh a few months ago and yes it's inconvenient all that but uh, i was called to serve on a jury for a man that was being accused of I believe the exact charges were sexual battery and fondling. And 
I actually, I watched him plead guilty to both of those crimes, uh, both of which were committed against a minor that was under his care. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, you know, this guy's the scum of the earth, that sort of thing. And the DA's office, uh, their representative, uh, their recommendation was, I believe, eight years in prison and a $2,500 fine. And that's for sexually assaulting a minor that that person uh, took care of, that uh, took under their wing to be a guardian for. And on top of that, there was evidence that he was trying to blackmail the the minor into uh, basically recanting the charges by saying, well, if you recant, I'll sign the paper so you can go live with someone else. And with all of that, with recordings of him admitting wrongdoing, with just no way out for him, the district attorney's office settled for less than 10 years in prison and $2,500 for sexual assault. And so that that disheartens me about the justice system. You know, and, and it's worth noting in situations like this, I, I've seen some discussion online as far as uh, sort of the structure, uh, how, the, how the justice system, system is structured and how that interacts with police officers here, where it is, by and large, we talked about this last week, it's out of, uh, in this case, those officers' hands, and in your case, uh, that particular defendant's hands, right? Like, I mean, right. it's something where... Uh, at some point, they passed that on. We mentioned last week that, um, you know, Minnesota, the the Minneapolis Police Department uh, and the state has done a, a fairly good job. We mentioned the autopsy being problematic, but or no, we didn't mention that. We we talked about that, I think, afterward on Facebook. But um, uh, with with a couple of relatively minor quibbles, uh, they've done a fairly good job of handing that off to the people uh, who, to whom they need to hand it off. Um and so it's it's basically out of the police department's hands at that point, uh, with the exception being if they're asked to aid in the investigation in some way, um, they're not responsible for administering justice. Uh, you know, and so what happens with these officers, um, whatever sentence they get, if they're convicted or not, um, that's by and large out of their hands and that's sort of the that's sort of the not the issue but the bigger thing that people are going to look at that has been an issue is with these officers um you know it's it's up to the justice system to actually administer justice um you know depending on what happens people are going to if if they don't get a conviction like they should or if they're not sentenced like they should, uh, people are going to look uh, disparagingly at the least on the local police department. Um, but they're not that's not really the problem here as far as as far as how the court is going to handle things. Obviously, you know what the police officer did as a police officer is is, is terrible and way out of line. Um and worthy of a second degree murder charge. And we'll see about conviction, but 
you know, whether or not he actually gets that isn't up to the police department at that particular period of time. Um, but part of the problem, like you, like you said, is, you know, for these horrific charges, sometimes these sentences get pleaded down, um, which maybe shouldn't be as much. And this is me being a little opinionated, but maybe shouldn't be as much of a function of our of our uh, legal system as it currently is. Um, I, I think there are circumstances where it's appropriate, but I think in the event of these absolutely horrific things, these absolutely terrible things, um, like here, here's the question in, in the instance you mentioned, um, the state is responsible for, or at least partially responsible for discussing this plea deal with the defendant you mentioned, right? And that's presumably what it was, right? Um, you plead guilty, you'll get eight years and this fine. Or maybe it was the judge being really lenient, but I'm, I'm going to go with the former, um, that there was a plea deal arranged. To be clear, it was, to my understanding, a plea deal. In fact, while the guilty, while the guilty plea was being ed- entered, uh, the judge presiding made it a point to say, now I do have to let you know, I do not have to follow the district attorney's repre- recommendations. I can charge, I can sentence you to a greater or lesser sentence. Yep. Just for clarity's sake. So the question I would ask is, what does the state gain from that plea deal? They get an easy conviction. I mean, realistically, that's why. Uh, because, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, I'm not an expert on any of these things, so I want to make those uh, concessions and get them out of the way. But uh, court is a long process. It is a, at times, tedious process. You have to, of course, summon people for jury duty. You have to go through the process of selecting jurors. You have to go through the process of letting each side say, okay, they can't serve as a juror here. That has to go to grand jury. Then it has to go to trial jury. It's There's this whole network of things that are done. And a plea deal allows you to just skip past all of that. At least in theory. Right. The, the problem is, if the Justice Department is, if it exists, and I'm using that phrase to encompass basically the entirety of the legal system, right? Um, I realize that there are facets of the Justice Department that end, uh, that work privately to some degree. But and anyway, um, if the whole system is set up to be sure that justice is administered and what is actually happening in many cases, plea deals are not an insignificant number. Um, if what is actually happening in these cases uh, is you get lesser sentences, which means, you know, justice is not administered the way it should be. Um, then, you know, they're using a shortcut to not do their job. Uh, and, and I understand that having no plea deals or having vastly reduced amounts of plea deals uh, would lead to a lot more stress on the system. Um, but if if the goal here is 
ultimately justice, then everything else is just instrumental in that goal. The goal shouldn't be expediency. Um, and if that's all they're getting is an easier conviction, because I, I, I cannot imagine um, what, I mean, if you're talking about sexual battery against a minor, you're talking about a pedophile. Um, you know, I, I cannot imagine um, what the state gains by reducing a pedophile sentence. I just, I, I don't know what that is uh, other than the expediency. And I, I, that, that, that doesn't sit well with me, Sam, that, 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 uh, you know, if, if there were another tangible benefit, uh, you know, to society, we could have that discussion. Right. And I'm not sure that I would agree with it then, but at least it might be worth discussing. But I'm not even sure that expediency is worth discussing as a benefit if it means that uh, that justice, including the sentencing, which is a part of all of this, if it means that justice isn't served like it should be. There is another dimension that I do want to bring up just in the spirit of fairness. It doesn't apply to my example, because, again, at least in my view, they had the person in question dead to rights, so to speak. But there is also plea deals can be used when a prosecuting attorney is not is not absolutely confident in the idea that the trial will go their way. So they can. They can go, they they can use that basically as a bargaining chip to say, okay, look, this is going to be a long, drawn-out affair. I've got rock-solid evidence against your client. Why don't we just save everyone time and we'll take a plea deal? And, and sometimes, of course, there's going to be bargaining chips and larger things that could be okay if you do this and turn on or like flip over on some an accomplice, we can do a reduced sentence, that sort of thing. But by and large, it boils down to expediency and the ability to ensure a conviction where a conviction might not otherwise be certain. So. Well, and, and I think, you know, to sort of demonstrate some inconsistency here on my part, um, I'm a lot more concerned with this as it pertains to violent crimes than nonviolent crimes. Um, you know, that, that there's a victim for basically every crime for all criminal activity. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, these violent crimes, these horrific crimes and the two examples we've been discussing, um, you know, taking a plea deal in light of clear evidence is problematic. Taking a plea deal because you're not sure. Well, at, you know, at the same time, uh, sort of pushing back against that you've got the idea that you might be getting someone to agree to a deal where they didn't actually do it that that's that's possible and and there's documented examples of that happening especially when the defendant is poor and uh you know going through the legal process with no guarantee of winning uh could destroy them financially uh when they're perfectly innocent um you know, if if we're talking about plea deals as as sort of, you know, mitigating a potential loss in court, sometimes those plea deals get people in prison who shouldn't be there because they didn't do it um, or get people punished because, well, they agreed that they did something that they didn't or 
or, you know, uh, just various different examples. But it, it, it's something that I'm not – if it gets in the way of administering justice, um, if it gets in the way of what would otherwise be a correct sentence, it becomes problematic. And I think that's what a lot of people are concerned about, myself included, with this particular case. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, up to this point, now that, you know, the other three officers have been charged uh, and the charge against Officer Chauvin has been upgraded, um, now we can sort of step back for a second and say, okay, we've got to let it play out. The fear here is that it's going to play out like it should uh, all the way up until sentencing, and either they will have reached a plea deal or uh, the judge will be more lenient than perhaps they should be. And, um, you know, uh, Officer Chauvin will get, you know, eight or ten years or something like that. Oh. Right. And I think the mitigating factor there is going to be uh, the very public nature of the trial. Uh, typically, uh, you don't want... You don't want people to be convicted in the court of public opinion, but at the same time, if you don't want to be convicted in the court of public opinion, don't be caught on camera putting your knee on someone's neck for nearly nine minutes. So I, I don't sympathize with Chauvin in this case, but I do think that this is going to be a make or break case, um, not just because of the rioting and protesting, but also because this is a moment where it's okay. This is in dis- the basic fact of what happened is indisputable. Mm-hmm. Nonviolent crime being committed, allegedly some resistance, but the the suspect in question is on the ground handcuffed. Three officers standing by to restrain, one of whom uses excessive force and ends up killing the guy. Mm-hmm. And the official autopsy notes that there was stress from various health conditions. I want to say there was even an autopsy that was done that noted that there may have been fentanyl in fluid system. But the autopsy done by at the request of the family by a private examiner uh, disagrees. Uh, and so we'll we'll see how that ends up playing out. But I think this is one of those if it goes the way that people don't want it to this time. Um, aside from an outburst of more protests and rioting, I, I feel reasonably confident that a judge will be disrobed or removed from the bench. Well, and I think it's worth noting that obviously this is the, as we've mentioned, this is the continuation of a trend, but this is probably uh, the most visible case uh, of of this trend that we've had in a while. Um, it's part of the reason that uh, there's been protests taking place over the past week. It's part of the reason, uh, although maybe not the direct reason, that there have been out-and-out riots and looting and destruction of property uh, taking place over the past week. Um, you know, this is, this is the most visible case uh, that we've had in a long time of this. Not to say that the other ones... Uh, didn't happen or that we shouldn't take them seriously or anything like that. But, you know, we have it very clearly on video at this point, what happened. Uh, like you said, we know is, uh, we know more about the circumstances of this uh, particular incident than we do about 
many of the other ones. Um, and people are reacting accordingly, uh, mostly anyway. Um, ha- have you happened to see any of the protesting, any of the rioting, anything like that where you're at? Uh, no, there is a protest scheduled for, I believe, let me double check the date, I believe for this weekend, but uh, they've been coordinating with local law enforcement, that sort of thing, to make sure that everything is on the level. Sure, sure. So hopefully and, that will go well. And one of the th- one of the things that's very interesting about all this, we've had some protests here in Oklahoma City, and, and we'll get to the riots in a second, because... I'm really viewing those two things as separate, even though one has led to the other to some extent. Um, is one of the positives to be revealed on social media through all this is the uh, the cooperation and, and the compassion between protesters and law enforcement uh, over this time. I've seen law enforcement kneeling with uh, kneeling with protesters. Um, I've seen uh protesters i saw one example of protesters protecting a law enforcement officer uh who got separated from his company um in the middle of i guess it was minneapolis um but i saw protesters during the middle of a riot basically circle around him and be sure he wasn't going to be attacked um which was you know uh stuff stuff like that's good to see uh especially when the world is quite literally on fire in some places. Um, and, you know, we, we see things like that and, and those stories do help. Those images do help uh, because what it makes clear is that not everyone protesting or rather the majority of people protesting don't hate law enforcement officers and the majority of law enforcement officers understand that what happened in Minneapolis is problematic. Um, You know, it's something where uh, these generalizations, uh, we, they're overblown sometimes to the point where people try to use them to dismiss the conversation altogether. Uh, Well, not all law enforcement officers are are racist. Yeah, no, uh, very few people and no one reasonable is claiming that. Um, but at the same time, that imagery does help. And it's like, here, here's here's how you can protest. You, you, you're you making it clear what you want. You're making it clear. Um, you're making it clear that this is important. You're grabbing people's attention. Um, but you're doing it in a way that demonstrates a sense of humanity, too. Uh, and, and likewise, with the law enforcement officers there, we mentioned this, I think, last week. They're out there um, in the middle of these protests to protect the protesters more than anything else. Um, they're, they're out there because they're going to be counter protesters. The problem has been, and this is just from my perspective here, when the sun sets, uh, many of the protesters go home and they are replaced by, I, th- I, I'm of the opinion they're replaced by looters, rioters, People who go out seeking to destroy property, probably using uh, the protest as a pretense for what they're doing, Um, you know, setting things ablaze, committing arson. Um, And, you know, what what happens is 
you know, you've got some of these extremist groups who they see an opportunity to break stuff. And so they go out and they break stuff. And that leads to law enforcement officers having to get involved, most of whom handle the situation appropriately. Some of them have not. Um, and we see, you know, you wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, well, another 500 people were arrested across the country overnight last night. Um, these buildings burned down last night, some of which uh, had, you know, I, I, I don't understand. Uh, careful here. Uh, for example, we one that hits kind of close to home is that uh, the Lewis Street Church of Christ building uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, was burned to the ground. It's not clear uh, if it was uh, directly tied to this to a riot or if it was just an independent act of arson. Um, but regardless, I, I'm I'm not sure what's being accomplished there. Uh, and with many of these uh, acts of arson, with many of this these uh, destructive behaviors. Um, I'm not sure what they're accomplishing other than, at least in some people's eyes, not necessarily mine, um, sort of mitigating the effect of the protest to begin with. And so I, I was curious, Sam, what your thoughts are on everything that we've seen over the past weekend, because it, it took a couple of days, but the, the protests and the riots seem to be in full effect at this point. Right. They, in some places are starting to wind down in part because of mobilization of the national guard in some cases. But I, I, there are a few different angles that I've ended up looking at this from. The first is that obviously there should be a very real distinction made between protesting and rioting. Um, protesting, even if you're carrying weapons is something I think is perfectly legitimate. Um, and I've held that position consistently, so fight me, uh, anyone that wants to disagree on that. But um, more seriously, uh, the way that the question of rioting has been handled, I think, has been unhelpful, especially by um, mainstream media, uh, especially the likes of CNN and, and uh, MSNBC, because you see a lot of bending over oneself to make excuses. There's, at first it was, well, rioting is the language of the, un, is the language of the unheard, which I take tremendous issue with. Uh, then there was, well, actually it's mostly outside instigators. And then it was, well, it's actually white supremacists and uh, people like that who are going in and trying to ruin things. And so at first it was okay. Because rioting is the voice of the unheard, apparently. Then it was, well, no, it's it's not them that's actually doing it. And then it was, it's not just that it's not them that's doing it, it's not just opportunists, it's people who are actually trying to undermine. And so I take a lot of issue there, firstly, uh, because the voice of the unheard comments especially, I, I take issue with those because... I want to try to phrase this very carefully because if I don't, it could be misconstrued. Comments like, well, they can't help it, or what choice has has this was choice of these people been left with that sort of thing. In my mind, that is 
only a few shades better than phrenology. Saying, well, they don't have any choice because of this, 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 and this. To me, it sounds eerily similar to, well, when you when you look at the African man's skull, he has these bumps on the inside of his skull, and that's why he acts the way that he does. And so I, out of hand, reject anything that removes people's moral agency. Uh, these people always have a choice. People who choose to resort to violence always have a choice. It may not be a good choice. It may not be that they have been given a fair hand in life. That does not rob them of their moral agency. And we, especially as white people, we have this weird need to infantilize black people and create various reasons why they're actually not responsible for the things that they do. It's this weird knee-jerk thing of, well, they can't help it because of this, 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 and this. And that bothers me. Secondly, the notion of instigators, that is actually believable because I've seen no shortage of instances of people, a lot of whom are white, going around smashing things only to be swarmed by black people saying, let's not do that. You're not like, we're not putting up with that. That is not helpful. But then when it goes on to, well, it's not just people that are grabbers on doing it. It's actually white supremacists, or it's actually this or that. Okay, prove it. An accusation isn't proof. And it, I've even seen some people say, well, it's it's Russian agitprop. And that that's just nauseating at this point. But there's a point at which, if you accept those different narratives, different questions come into play. For instance, okay, if it's actually hangers-on and agitators or even white supremacists and other unsavory groups, why are celebrities offering to bail people out? Why are people volunteering their money to get white supremacists bailed out of prison? And, and you might say, well, that, that's not a fair time. It absolutely is. If you were going to one day say, I'm willing to put my money forward to help people who are arrested in the process of looting and rioting, and then the next day say, well, it's all a bunch of white supremacists, you have to be willing to deal with the implications of that. So I, I understand the frustration, though. I don't want to give the impression that I'm just looking down on the rioters and looters that are acting out of genuine frustration and just blind rage. Like, I get it. I understand that there is a lot of frustration. There is a lot of pent-up anger. And I don't want to tut tut at people that just don't know what to do but rob robbing people of their moral agency is not helpful under any circumstance i uh one of the early interviews that came out when some of the rioting started happened on cnn and i'm amazed that it wasn't edited down uh you may have come across this it's either Dr. Cornell or Cornell. I'm not exactly sure where the, the accent in his name should be. Uh, I'm going to say Cornell West. Um, he's a professor at Harvard. Uh, he also uh, was a minor character in the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolutions. He was Counselor West in those movies. Um, 
But Dr. West got on CNN and he came out and forget if it was Anderson Cooper who it was that asked him about the riots. And he said, um, you know, he's glad that people are out there and more specifically said he'd rather see people out there uh, on the street um, than uh, people be indifferent. Uh, And there's part of that that I can or that resonates with me. Um, I don't want people to be indifferent about this, uh, which is something that we've been indifferent about for too long on too many issues. Um, The problem is. This is not a binary thing. Um, That's not a binary choice. There's something besides either sitting at home being indifferent or going out and destroying property at night. Um, And so, you know, when it comes to this, like you said, you don't, you don't rob people of their free moral agency. Uh, And and what that means is they bear the responsibility of their actions morally when they make wrong choices. Um, Like you said, you, you don't want to be dismissive of why people are doing this, even if it is, uh, even if it's leading them to make wrong choices. Uh, I believe the the language of a riot being, uh, what's the exact quote you said? A riot being the language of the unheard. unheard. Yeah, I, I've seen that attributed to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., although I can't verify that. Um, Okay, uh, I I understand that you know there's there's something like you said there's pent up frustration pent up anger about but at the same time that that's not that's not an excuse um you know and people people will do that with it's it's not just one particular minority or one particular group or one particular belief uh, of course but you know, at the same time, you've got people who are losing their property, uh, who are losing, um, in some cases, their lives. There have been people who've been killed as a result of some of these riots, um, both on the side of uh, just civilians and protesters, as well as law enforcement, um, uh, who have been killed as a result of these things. Uh, former law enforcement, too. I saw there was a Long-time LEO in St. Louis who lost his life uh, as a result of these riots. Um, people who are at the very least unconnected with uh, unconnected with anything going on as far as you know being for or against any particular side. And in some cases, you've got people whose lives are uh, being you know stripped down to the frame. Um, just completely destroyed almost who are actually in favor of the protest itself. Um, you know, and, and so not only is, uh, do, do you have these choices being made that are objectively wrong, even if there's a, there's a reason for why they're doing it. That's, uh, that's worth talking about. That's worth discussing uh, that, that, anger that frustration isn't being directed where it should be um now granted that's going to sound a little preachy coming from me i i understand that 
Um, I understand that I am not the foremost voice in this discussion by any stretch. Um, but if, if honest, genuine change is going to happen, um, then discussions about how to actually go about uh, enabling that change have to occur. Um, and that anger, that frustration, uh, and that voice need to be directed through the proper channels to the proper people. Now, of course, part of the problem is um, through the proper channels hasn't always worked, uh, where we've seen uh, all these different complaints about the justice system. I, I think I saw that one of the officers had, uh, I think, 14 uh, reviews against him or something like that. But um, that was Chauvin himself. Yeah, and so the proper channels haven't always worked. Um, but it's something where whether whether these riots should take away from the message or not, and I, I don't think they should. Uh, I, I think the idea that something needs to change, um, that, you know, there's there's something deeply wrong with what's going on and what has been going on, especially – I mean, it's been going on at least our entire lives, but especially that we've seen since the George Zimmerman trial. Um, some that that should change, that something should change. In, in the court of public opinion, that perspective is being mitigated uh, by some of these riots and some of this looting. I don't think it should, but functionally it is, whether I want it to or not. You know, these these riots are, uh, you know, you've got people who will dismiss the movement as a whole because of the actions of these rioters. That's part of the reason you see uh, some people on mainstream media and even just on social media uh, try and say these are different groups. I, I tend to think that they're not all the same group, that there's not a lot of overlap between the more peaceful demonstrations during the day and the more violent demonstrations at night. Um Absolutely. And for clarity's sake, uh, I would agree on multiple counts. Uh, The abuse of a thing is not an argument against a thing. I don't want to give the impression that the riots negate the validity of the protests. And everything I've seen indicates that it's a mix of different sorts of hangers on that are just being opportunistic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I saw a picture of uh, one of the targets getting destroyed, and uh, there's uh, there's a white guy there, probably about my age, just walking out with a set of Legos. I'm not sure what that does uh, to further dis- the discussion surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I think that a white guy just saw an opportunity to go in and get some Legos, which, you know, I mean, that there are plenty of white guys who enjoy Legos, I guess, but I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that does exactly to further the discussion, but what it's going to do, uh, when images like that come out, there are going to be people who look at what has happened over the past week and they are going to refuse to, to engage in the discussion because, well, look at what it's caused. Uh, look at all the problems it's caused. Uh, now that's a problem with them. Let's be clear. Um, if, if these riots have led you uh, to distance yourself from the discussion at all, 
you have a problem. Um, you have to be able to separate out the reason for these protests from the looting and the riots that have taken place. Uh, you, you can hold that the lootings and the riots are wrong, that they are uh, unlawful, that they are sinful. You can hold the, that position alongside the position that we need to have a discussion about uh, uh, about. Um, the justice system. We need to have a discussion about race relations in America. Um, you, you can hold those two views. And by and large, uh, most people, I think, at least most people I've come into contact to hold those two views. But this is a discussion that needs to involve everyone it can. Um, there are obviously going to be extremists on both sides who just refuse to talk to anyone. And and you understand when we when we talk about having a discussion, you're not going to be able to include them because they don't want to be included. Uh, but for I don't know the 98 percent of us that fall in the middle, 99 um, percent of us that fall in the middle, you, you we cannot let uh, these violent, awful circumstances uh, surrounding the rioting and looting. Um, preclude any discussion about race relations or about the justice system or anything like that. But for some people it will do that. And that's, that's tragic. Right. And just those two observations alongside that, uh, as to the question of, well, what do people who are looting, like you mentioned the white guy with a set of Legos, uh, that I think is in large part because you had black lives matter, which, by all accounts, have been more or less peaceful. Uh, the worst I've ever seen specifically a Black Lives Matter sanctioned protest do is block roads. And that's inconvenient, but they can move out of the way and you can drive through or you can take a detour or something like that. So that's realistically not a big deal. It's not ideal and... For vehicles that can't detour because of their size, you only have so many options, and I hope you'll take the let's get out of the 18-wheelers way option, and I hope that the driver will take the let me wait for them to get out of my way option. But um, you've also, I've seen footage of uh, people, if my memory serves, these are mostly uh, not Black Lives Matter. In fact, I don't think any of the people at this specific event that I saw footage of were, but holding up signs and chanting things like eat the rich. And for some people, there is a connection between capitalism, which the United States is not by and large a capitalist system anyway. It's a corporatist system, but that's neither here nor there. But saying things like eat the rich and it's okay to loot and destroy Target because Target is a multi-million or billion dollar company. They can just pay to replace everything. Or it's okay to loot the Apple store. It's okay because they're the wealthy. They are the oppressor class. And that creates a lot of this difficulty because um, without going too far afield, Black Lives Matter, whether it intends it or not, shares in some ways tenets of critical theory, especially critical race theory which only sees people through the lenses of class and, in the case of critical race theory, race. And so I've seen footage of uh, people from their windows saying, like, you know, hey, I'm on your side of support, and their window's getting smashed out. For the violent and the extremist, 
it does not matter whose side you are. If you are the oppressor class, you get the bullet. So there's that. But also my fear with the riots is not so much that people won't listen. Because if people just don't listen, everything stays the same. And while that's not good, that's not the worst case scenario. My concern is that these riots will cause people to say, well, we need more police. We need to crack down harder. We need to further militarize the police. And while racism is a root issue, if the police do not have the powers and authority that they do, racists within their ranks cannot act on those impulses. Um, a recent example within the last week and a half, Breonna Taylor was shot in her home while she was asleep uh, because officers served a warrant to the wrong house. And there's a whole list of issues there. And the rioting will only make some people look at that and say, well, we need the police to have greater impunity and greater ability and greater equipment. Or you see uh, instances, uh, it's one that I come back to a lot, but Duncan Lip, a SWAT team raided his house at 4.30 in the morning because of a red flag warrant. And uh, when you look at these things, you think, wait, the police can just kick down my door at 4.30 in the morning? Yes, they can, and they will if they feel like they have to. And I look at that and I say, even the KGB had the courtesy to knock. Like, yes, they would put a bag over your head and take you off into the night to die in the Siberian wilderness, but they would knock and let you open the door. Brianna Taylor didn't even get that courtesy. Yep. She was asleep in her bed and was shot eight times. And so there's the fact that it was the wrong house. There's the fact that it was wait. Their game plan apparently was to shoot whoever it was anyway, since they did it to this woman who's asleep. And so... I haven't seen updates on what happened to the officers involved in that situation. But when police officers are given this blank check to go and arrest by any means necessary, you're empowering both good cops who just want to do their job, not kill anyone they don't have to, not abuse their authority, not exert force they don't have to, and you're also you're empowering the malicious and the racist. And so to me, the best way forward here that will solve the problem in its greatest part is demilitarization and de-escalation of police power and authority and limiting them down, removing their bills of rights that exceed that of a citizen, that sort of thing. And with riots and things like that, civil unrest makes people entrench themselves and say, no, I want security, even if it's just security theater um i want to sort of the, this is obviously not going to wrap our discussion on this long term i imagine this is something we're going to be returning to repeatedly uh, but i want to sort of wrap our discussion on this today by asking you this um so what can we do on an individual level? We talked last week about what we can do on a church level, uh, on a congregational level, particularly if you're you know, in the pulpit, what, what difference it should make. What can I as an individual do uh, to sort of contribute positively 
to this discussion. Um, what what can I do to help? Uh, what things should I be avoiding? Um, and what's sort of the one or two things I really need to be focusing on to uh, to help further this discussion in a positive way? Uh, a few things that come to mind for me are, firstly, just getting the information straight, uh, doing your own homework, figuring out the data points that need to be discussed. But far as uh, things you can do, uh, the first thing would be to advocate for policies that actually help, uh, evidence-based policies that increase things. Uh, number one with a bullet, uh, advocating for your city and state no longer negotiating with police unions. Police unions draw their contracts in such a way that they can expunge records of bad behavior, that they can minimize accountability for their police officers. They can do all sorts of things. Um, uh, something you can push against is, and this is per Samuel uh, Sinyangwe, uh, pardon me if I mispronounce his name, but he does a lot of research on this. He's been very informative for me. But uh, implicit bias training doesn't change police behavior. Don't waste your time with it. Body cameras are helpful in that they provide accountability, but they don't actually reduce violence. So that's a good thing. I think body cameras are helpful, but expecting body cameras and implicit bias training to fix everything is a no-go, but um, placing, uh, pushing for greater restriction, being in conversation with your city and state level uh, representatives about greater restrictions on police force uh, and greater consequences for when those restrictions are broken even, but uh, also pushing for demilitarization. Again, you can't just snap your finger and make that go away, but you can in your city pose questions like why does our why does our police department need military grade equipment why does if you're in a larger city why does my police department need an armored vehicle uh, not every city has that obviously but larger cities it's not at all unheard of for there to be armored police vehicles why do they need them they don't militarization has been demonstrated not to keep them safer and it only makes people think less of the police and make them less trustworthy because nobody trusts a guy walking around in full plate with a rifle, even if they're well within their rights to do so. It draws attention and it makes people suspicious. So those are a few things as far as policy goes, but on a very practical level, be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of what's happening with people in your own lives and your own places. And uh, without being coddling or infantilizing, like actually just listen to people around you. Yep. When they say, hey, this guy's get, causing me problems, be there for them. Yep. I, uh, I was going to mention a couple of things. To First, you, you'd mentioned with law enforcement. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, last month, Oklahoma – actually became the first state to enact anti-red flag laws, specifically as it uh, pertains to firearms confiscations. Uh, I hope that's the start of a trend. Um, I don't know anyone that was upset about that, uh, including uh, law enforcement officers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not aware of a single person that was upset. I'm sure there are people who were, but I, I don't know them personally is what I'm getting at. Uh, right. uh, 
you know, the education is, is a part of this. There has been a big push on the part of certain uh, media outlets to uh, advocate for education. Look, if uh, I, I will never be a person uh, to suggest that just because you have a a particular skin tone or a particular background that your voice on any matter is irrelevant. Uh, the idea uh, that you shouldn't be heard because you're white or because you haven't gone through these things um, is, you know, that's, that's exactly the sort of thing that we're trying to fight against uh, just, you know, on a different side, if you will. Um, that being said, you do need to understand that if you come from a particular background, um, there are going to be some things that you haven't experienced firsthand uh, that you need to be educated about. Otherwise, um, I'm going to recommend I'm, – I'm not going to recommend a couple of things so much as I'm just simply going to suggest them as uh, possible outlets. And I'm not going to recommend them only because I, I haven't experienced them firsthand. I'm just going to tell you what I'm planning on doing. Um, Warner Brothers – uh, announced that they have made the movie Just Mercy. You may remember this as the uh, uh, the Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson movie that came out last year uh, pertaining to the trial involving um, uh, I think Brian Stevenson was the lawyer uh, in the movie. Um, uh, it, it tells the true story of Walter McMillan, uh, uh, he appeals a murder conviction, uh, and it's very racially charged. Warner Brothers has made that available to rent for free on most major streaming outlets. Um, and so I've already got the Amazon rental queued up, and, and we'll, uh, Kelsey and I will plan on watching that sometime within the next week or so. Um, there's also uh, a bunch of uh, material uh, that you can read on, on these topics. Um, if your only source of information – uh, for race relations uh, is either uh, some news network or social media, you're missing the point. Um, and, and you're, you don't, you're not going to have any more than a very rudimentary and misguided understanding uh, of, of what someone with a differing background from you is going through with all this. Uh, certainly you're not going to understand at all why people would disagree with you on a, on whatever position you take. Um, and so I, I, I think that's, uh, I think the education here is key. I also think, um, going back to social media for a second, probably uh, not the most helpful place to have these discussions. Um, probably not the most helpful place. Your memes aren't helping anything. Um, your, uh, your what about ism isn't helping anything. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the idea that not all blank are racist doesn't actually move the needle because blank is racist or blank acted race racially, be it, uh, this particular police officer, be it those two guys down in, uh, Georgia with the, uh, shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, be it whoever you want to bring up, whatever category you want to bring up, um, you've got individuals who have done the wrong thing. And the fact that thankfully 99% or whatever of whatever group you want to bring up has done the right thing doesn't take away from the fact that that person chose to do this thing for the wrong thing. And it's a trend that keeps happening. 
And so the whataboutism doesn't actually change anything. Um, the memes don't actually change anything. Your statistics and your graphs that you bring up on social media aren't convincing people. Um, if you want to convince people of something, listen to them, figure out where they're coming from, figure out the, the shortcomings in your own worldview. And then if there is something genuinely wrong with what's being presented to you, you can address it because you know how to address it. Right. Um, uh, there is a uh, there is a list of demands that the Oklahoma City chapter of Black Lives Matter presented either yesterday or two days ago. Uh, to the city of Oklahoma City and the Oklahoma City Police Department. Um, and some of those things are uh, some of those things are fine. Um, you know, it, basic things like the uh, the arrest of law enforcement officers who have acted uh, violently and inappropriately uh, in handling the protests. Well, oh, OK. Um, you know, if you've got police officers who have broken the law, then they should be handled appropriately. That's fine. Um, but some of it's like, you know, we're calling for the resignation of the police chief because of this. I, I'm not sure what that accomplishes. Um, a police chief who, by the way, might very well disagree and uh, at least has come out publicly in some cases uh, and disagreed with some of the things that have happened. Some of the, some of the ways that police officers, uh, uh, have handled things. Uh, he put out a video fairly quickly after the incident in Minneapolis occurred, uh, basically saying, Hey, that's not okay. We don't condone this. And this is something that we're trying to, uh, we're trying to curtail. Um, this is something that we're being aggressive in trying to root out of our police department. It doesn't mean that they're perfect in it, but I'm not sure what asking, uh, how asking the police chief to resign is, is helpful in that regard, at least in our specific circumstance. It might be appropriate in other areas. I'm not convinced it is out here in Oklahoma City, though. I, you know, being educated on why these things are happening uh, is, I think, the first and most important step, because otherwise you're go you're going to go off of, like you said earlier, you're going to go off the wrong information and you're not going to you're not going to arrive at the right answers because you never knew what the questions were to begin with. Um, you know, with, with the Kaepernick thing, and we talked about this last week, when the Colin, Ka Col Colic, Colin Kaepernick uh, kneeling started happening, I guess it's three years ago now, four years ago. Um, when that started happening, people went on and on and on and on and on about how it was a disgrace to the military. Um you know, how, how it was something horrible and, you know, all these different things. And even President Trump got himself, uh, it was back in 20, might have been 2016, he interjected into the discussion and um, all these different things. And it just, people missed the point then. And, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll be one of the first to say I was a part of the group that missed the point then. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily think that it was problematic that he was, he was kneeling, but I kind of let some of the other character flaws or some of the character flaws rather that Kaepernick has get in the way of the message. Um, you know, he was, uh, Kaepernick has a penchant to be very, very, very hateful toward people he disagrees with. Um, but 
you know, there's still a message that was trying to be sent there and uh, at least being educated about what that message is and why it's being sent is important. Simply burying your head in the sand and saying, you know, oh, he's doing this because of this and that's why he's doing it without actually considering what he has to say about it. Likewise, assuming you know why these protesters are protesting uh, and even why some of the rioters are rioting uh, without actually hearing it from their mouths. Uh, does a disservice to both you and them. Um, and so I think the education is key here because once you have that education and, and as you progress in that education, it leads to informative uh, positions on policy, both within the uh, the justice system and uh, elsewhere. It leads to uh, being able to find answers to some of these problems but, you know, if people keep burying their head in the sand, don't be surprised if things don't get better. Absolutely. And I think that's going to be the main thing is will people look around and say something has to change? Uh, now, change for change's sake isn't going to help anyone because if you swing too far in one direction or another that doesn't actually accomplish anything, then you'll have just the pendulum swing back. But action, especially directed in useful directions, isn't in vain, even if it's just at your city level, even if it's just at your state level. People tend to only think about politics and the like in terms of the federal level. Uh, people tend to participate more in their presidential elections than their state and local. If you change, if you advocate for change in your local region, you're making people's lives better in that area. And if, and if people do that at large, it ultimately doesn't matter who the president is because the president doesn't just pull switches and make things magically happen. If we dedicate ourselves to making our communities, our places in life better, that effect is cumulative and it's cumulative very quickly. Um, I, I think one other thing to do, and typically this, this should go without or it would go without mentioning, but I think it's worth mentioning here for a very particular reason, uh, is to pray about the situation. Now, some people don't want to hear that, and some people are already doing that, thinking that, well, yeah, of course I'm praying about it. Um, but to butcher a Tim Keller quote, because I don't have it in front of me, you're going to have a, an awful, awful hard time uh, thinking uh, that you're better than someone you pray for and thinking that you're better that, than someone you uh, you forgive necessarily. Um, again, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. Uh, but if you're sincere, if you're genuine in your prayer and you live a life that's actually consistent with your prayers for other people, then you're going to realize that for that consistency to take place, it's going to lead to some action on your part. Um, part of the reason that the people, especially uh, secularists, um, 
get sick of hearing thoughts and prayers uh, as sort of an expression is because they see plenty of people, uh, Christians included in this, expressing that and that being the extension of what they do to uh, to actually address the situation. Um, if you're praying over the situation, you should you should be praying over this situation. If you are, you need to be sure you're living a life that's actually consistent with what you're praying about. Um, and that's, you know, when we pray for our enemies, when we, uh, when we pray that, uh, you know, and when we pray for them more than just an imprecatory Psalm, if you will, of just, you know, I, I wanting to strike their children against the rocks. Um, when we actually pray for them, if we're asking for God to change the situation, if we're asking for God to extend his hand and, uh, you know, do whatever his, his will is or whatever he would do in this situation, um, I need to recognize that I might be a part of the, the answer to that as well. I'm not going to be so egotistical as to say that I'm the only one that can save this situation or that God is using me in this particular way to do this particular thing. And if I don't do it, I'm somehow letting everyone down. But at the same time, um, if I'm praying for a solution, I need to recognize that God may very well use me uh, in that solution. Um, that, you know, I, I don't get to pray over the situation and then kick back in my recliner as if I've done my work. Uh, and so pray about it, but consider the words of your prayer, actually consider what you're saying and consider whether or not you're living a life that, that, that actually is consistent with that prayer. Um, you know, if, if you're not doing that, that's probably the first and most immediate change you can make. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, the education sort of leading to uh, everything else that can come out of that. But, you know, I, um, I get, I get a little sick and a little tired of seeing Christians mention how they're praying over a situation and that being all that they do. And I say that as someone who's been guilty of that as well. You got anything else? Yes. Just very quickly. I'm actually looking for the quote right now because it is from allegedly from uh, good old William Law but in his work uh, nothing makes us like a person so much as praying for them uh, William Law I don't know if you had to read him in undergrad Chris but if you had the pleasure of taking values and human thought in action with Jim Gardner you did and uh, that book was very challenging, especially for thoughts like that, that the idea that our praying for people actually changes our disposition towards them. And, of course, there's the old adage, if you cannot pray for someone you disagree with, then that that's indicative of your spiritual state or believe was Spurgeon who said, uh, I know this, if you can spend your days calling uh, down the heretics, but you do not spend your nights weeping for them in prayer, then you yourself are among the worst. Yeah. Um, I forget if we mentioned this on last week's show, but Michael Porter Jr., uh, who's a mem who's a uh, member of the 
Oh, I think he is a Denver Nugget. Is what he is. I'll check that real quick. Um, yeah, he is a Denver Nugget, uh, and he tweeted out the other day. Um, as much as you pray for the George family, uh, gotta also pray for the police officers who were involved in this evil. As hard as it is, pray for them instead of hate them. Pray that God changes their hearts. Um, and the criticism he took from his colleagues, uh, from other basketball players, what what is uh, you know the criticism he got from people who maybe should have been on the same page was something else. Uh, it was not all positive. Um, at the same time, if we're going to pray that God changes their hearts, if we're going to pray that God does any thing in particular we you know it ought to motivate us to be a part of that change um so well you have anything else sam uh just on that uh, that backlash is illustrative of a really simple principle we want justice for people that wrong us or do things that we don't approve of but we want mercy for ourselves um and that that is the problem with worldly anger and rage it is a desire for justice for thee, but not for me. And that's why it's self-destructive. Yep. Well, and it's, it's something, it's part of the reason that empathy is, is so important in these situations too. Um, you know, you, you won't know what someone else is going through unless you've been there yourselves, yourself, <clears throat> but you can, you can at least take the time to try and educate yourself as much as you possibly can. Um, so I think that's going to about wrap it for today. Thank you for listening to the deep in the tank podcast. We'll see you next time.